Hard to believe, but it was over 30 years ago. It was over 30 years ago that Marty McFly went back in time. The movie Back to the Future was a huge hit, had a sequel and then a follow-up to that. All about a young man who ends up being able to go back and to meet his mom and dad before they were his mom and dad in the year 1955. And he found out something about his parents that he had no idea. He found out that his parents were not cool. Yeah, he found out his parents were not cool at all. Now, I know that some of you, you would, you would really be uncomfortable if your kids were able to go back and to see you in high school, right? I mean, your kids have asked you about your high school experience. And as any good parent, you lied to them. Yeah. I mean, you told them how that, you know, you, you, you were cool and you were popular and, and how you scored all the touchdowns. I mean, the older I get, the better I was at football. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. But, but your kids ask you, they say, well, what happened to you in high school? And, and you, you told them some things and maybe you left off some others. Marty McFly was able thanks to a souped-up DeLorean of all things, to go back in time. And he saw his dad and how that his dad was always being picked on and, and how that there was this guy, remember Biff? You guys remember Biff? How that he was the big bully and he was always picking on Marty's dad. And he was able to encourage his father and say, stand up for yourself. Come on, be a man. You don't have to take this kind of abuse. And, and the... Marty saw his mom and, and realized that he realized that the, the alcohol abuse that she was going to have in the future was starting there in high school. And he was able to, to speak with her and say, look, have, have some self-respect. You don't need this. You're better than this. You don't understand what, what this could do to you in the future. And it was a, it was a great story with, with all kinds of, of twists and turns and all kinds of great comedy and and then he goes back. He's able to get back to the year 1985. And he wakes up in his bed and he walks into the kitchen and he finds out that everything has changed. Everything's changed. His dad's job has changed. His mom's appearance has changed. His siblings have changed. Even Biff has changed. It's all different now. And he begins to understand that what happens then affects now. You know, there's this mode of thinking that says, it really doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't really matter what I do. Everyone at one time in their life kicks up their heels and kind of plays loose with life. Everyone is kind of indifferent about their Christianity at some point in time. But not to worry, because when the time comes, I'm just going to jump in my souped-up DeLorean, and I'll go back, and I'll change things. And I'll meet, and I'll marry that Christian girl or guy. I'll, I'll start showing integrity in my business dealings. I'll, I'll spend more time with my family. I'll start taking my, I'll start taking my Christianity seriously. Is it? It's as if all those things that happened before somehow just don't matter. But here's the deal. And especially for those of you that are 
and you're starting college, and I know we've got some We've got some, some new young men and women who are with us this morning who are looking forward to their new college experience. You can't go back. There is no DeLorean. There's no way for you to go back and to change your past. I'll just ask those who are older here in the audience... Go in and ask the moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. You would love to be able to go back, wouldn't you? There are things you would love to be able to do. Some of you would love to be able to go back and raise your children again. But you can't. Some of you would love to be able to go back and, and take away the words that you spoke. That as they were coming out, you were, you were reaching out, trying to grab them somehow. Because you knew the damage that they were going to do in the moment. And sure enough. The relationship has been damaged ever since. Oh, if you could only go back. If you could go back, you would say yes to the job. If you could go back, you would say, no, I'm not going to move there. If you could go back, all these different things would change. But you can't. None of us can go back and change the past. And for some, that is a heavy weight that we bear. Because we look back and we see our past and we see different choices that we made. We see places where we ended up. We see the things that we did. We know the impact that it's had on our lives. And we're like, if only, but I can't. And we feel that because of our past, our future is null and void. But I want you to, I want you to hear me this morning. I truly believe that you can change your tomorrows. By facing yourself honestly today. You can't go back and change the past. You can't do it. It's over with. It's done. What has happened has happened. And the consequences that have come, those are things that, that you have been living with. But you can change your tomorrows by facing yourself today. You know, it was last week that we said the Hebrews writer... He expected there was going to be an outcome to our being surrounded by what he called a great cloud of witnesses. Individuals who had seen God's power and, and God's care and God's might. And he says, since we are surrounded, he said, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now the writer is speaking to those who are just worn out. He's talking to individuals who have gone through some very difficult circumstances. And now they feel weighed down. They are entangled. They cannot move through it. And he says, look, here's, here's what you got to do. You've got to throw it off. You've got to push it away. You've got to run in the opposite direction. And it's not just a mild suggestion. It's a direct challenge, it's a charge to use whatever strength that we have, whether it be physical or emotional, to be able to, to get past the situation, to throw away whatever it is that is weighing us down. He says, throw it off. And he implies there that something is on you. You're entrapped by something. And you can only know that something is on you if you feel it, if you experience it, and you see its effects. You know, you, you walk into that musty, dark room. You, you walk into it and you're trying to find a box that 
your spouse has said, I know it's, I know it's there. We put it there when we moved and you walk in and you open the closet and, and you reach in and all of a sudden you feel as if you are enveloped by this, this, this very fine skin sticky material and you realize it's some kind of spider web and all of a sudden you are filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo-hoo! Boy, you're just jumping, right? You're filled with something and you're jumping around and your, your spouse sees you and thinks, what in the world's going on? And you're like, Woo, get it off, get it off, get it off. She's like, what? What is on you? Because every time there's a spider web on you, why do you freak out? Because you know what made it. Right? You don't freak out because you're in some kind of a web. That's not what bothers you. What bothers you is the fact that you know what made it. And where there is a spider web, there is a? And so we just go nuts. And the Hebrews writer says, that's the attitude you have to have when it comes to the weights of your life. It's the attitude that you have when it comes to sin that is present. Where were you saying, get it off. I've got to get it off. I can't have it on me anymore. I, I can't continue in this direction. I cannot live like this. I'm feeling crushed. I'm feeling as if I cannot breathe. And I've got to get it off. The Hebrews writer challenges us to identify those things. And he says, everything that hinders. He says, the sin that so easily entangles. Last week, we, we talked about the anxiety that presses in on us. This week, I want us to focus in on, on that idea of the, the sin that's just wrapped around us. We already read from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, David pours himself out before God. He was entangled and he tried to hide it. He tried to run, but he just could not escape the, the sin and the results of the sin that was present in his life. And He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The setting here for David's words, it's all in the aftermath of his relationship with Bathsheba. He was pretending as so many of us do, Lord, everything's fine. Everything is good. Yet it was burning within him to say, I'm just so entangled and Father, forgive me because I have sinned. And yet he said he just felt it pressing on him as if everybody that saw him knew exactly what he had done. How he had taken a woman that was not his wife to be his. How he had had her husband killed in battle. Every eye that was on him, he felt as if they could see directly into his soul. He felt, he says, the hand of God pressing down on him because it was so much to bear. And he says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. And all of my guilt is gone. Notice that God didn't just forgive the sin, but he forgave the guilt and the pain, the ugly feelings of those moments when we see our mistakes, when we see who and what we really are, and we want to turn around and we don't want to face it. 
But it's at that moment. It's at that moment of despair that God says, you know what? Now we can start talking about forgiveness. And now we can start talking about change. Guys, change can only take place when I am honest with myself and with God. And it's in this setting that I want us to go back. I want us to go back and I want us to look into the mirror of God's word at at two very different men just for a few minutes. Not just to listen, but to get in touch with who we are. It's found in your Old Testament. It's 2 Kings, if you want to be turning over there, finding it on your phone. 2 Kings chapter 5. And there beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier. Now I love it. I would love it if you had never heard this story before. And maybe you're here this morning. You say, I've never heard about, about Naaman. And I'm excited for you. Because this, especially if you're not a disciple of Jesus. Especially if you're not a Christian this morning. But, but maybe you've been listening and you've been on the outskirts. You've been hearing different things. And, and maybe you've been reading some in your Bible. And you're wondering about this whole idea of, of sin and grace. And, and what it's all about. I want you to be able to pay close attention here. Naaman, he was the one that was out in front. He was the one that was looked up to. He was the one that was in charge. He was the one that when people went by, they were in awe because he was the hero. He was the rock. He was the one who was responsible for the victories that had come to the nation. And he seems like such an appealing guy. The king loves him. The people lift him up. He was a valiant soldier. He was a mighty warrior. But the description ends this way. The text says, but he had leprosy. Now, I don't know if Naaman tried to ignore his leprosy like we try to ignore the problems in our lives. He could have said, you know what, I'm a valiant soldier and I've got everything going for me and, and I'm just going to put this leprosy thing behind me. I mean, how about for you? If you were to list all of, all the reasons why you should be hired, if you were to put out your resume, think about it. You don't put the negatives on there. You list all the things that you are good at, all the things that, that bring you joy, all the reasons that you think that your employer would hire you. You don't put on there that you have a hard time getting up before eight o'clock. You don't do that. You don't put on there that you fall asleep often around 1.30. That's just not something that, that you do. But, but here in the description of Naaman, all of these great things. But God wants you to know, look, he wasn't perfect. He had leprosy. And I wonder if we've gotten out of touch with the things that really matter. Naaman had the grades and he had the job and he had the position. He was yuppier and uppier. And I wonder if we have this way of thinking where we look at all the things that we're good at and all the accomplishments that we have and yet forget how desperately we still need God. We think about all the schooling that we've had, the jobs that we've enjoyed, the different positions that we've been able to secure. You know, you may have been a top achiever at school. You might have truly been awesome in high school. You could be the one that continues to move up the, the ladder at your job. But understand something. 
If you do not have Jesus as the savior of your soul, then you have leprosy. You do. And no amount of trophies or portfolios or financial accomplishments can change that. Because you can't take any of it with you. And all the trophies and all the accolades and all the different attaboys and girls mean nothing in eternity if you do not know Jesus Christ. Poor Naaman. He couldn't walk away from his leprosy. And so he hears word from one of his servants that there was someone in her country who could help him with his problem. So he goes to his king and he asks permission so that he might be able to travel to the land of the Hebrews. That word has come that there is someone there who could finally do something to take away what has been that one, that one black mark, that, that one area in his life that he just can't hide from, that thing that he can't get rid of. And so thinking like a man of the world, he takes 750 pounds of gold, 150 pounds of silver, 10 different sets of clothing, and he hopes to buy himself clean. He arrives to the king of Israel, and the king is beside himself going, I, I can't help you. I don't know why you're here. I, I don't know why you think I could do something for you. But then a message comes from a man named Elisha saying simply, just send him to me. And Naaman goes with all of his pomp and with all of his splendor. And I want you to picture it as he's taking all of the gold and all of the silver and all the clothes. And he's got all of the men that are a part of his army. And he's going to the outskirts. And he's going to this small little hamlet. And he stops at this small little hut. And a servant runs out. Says, hey, are you Naaman? My master said, go down to the river Jordan and wash seven times and you'll be healed. Bye. And he's gone. And there's Naaman with all the gold, with all the silver, with all the clothes, with all of his men. And he's standing there in a foreign land, just been told to go wash in a dirty river. And the text says in verse 11 that Naaman goes away angry. Man, he's angry. He's upset. It says he's incensed. He has rage within him. Because more than anything, he wanted to be clean. And he thought that this was going to be the moment. And he had heard the rumors. He decided he would take the trip. He has everything together. He's done everything he knows to do. And now he's being told to go and to bathe in some dirty water. And friends, the same thing that kept Naaman from being obedient to the message of the servant is the same thing that keeps you and me from being obedient to God. It's our pride. Pride keeps us from responding to God. Now we saw this last week as we talked about how that pride is what fans the flames of the anxiety that's present in our life. But, but pride is, is also that which, which keeps us from responding in obedience to God. Think about this. You know pride has control issues, right? We've talked about that. 
And so here's what you hear coming out of your mouth. Don't tell me how to do something. Don't tell me how to do something. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I can quit whenever I want to. You said that before? How's that going for you? I don't need anyone's help. I don't need anyone's help. I've got this under control. Really? You think so? Dads, ask your kids how under control your anger is. Ask your spouse how under control your lust is. Ask those who you work with how under control your tongue is. See, pride has control issues. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. And pride makes me so self-centered. And the more self-centered I am, the more I'm concerned about my own pleasures, about my desires, and about my comfort. And I'm not thinking about God's plan or God's will or God's mission. I'm just thinking about what's going to help me and what's going to make me feel better and what is going to allow me to have peace. And if you haven't noticed, pride refuses to ask for help. We said last week that we feel as if we have to always carry the weight of our anxiety with us. It's the same way when it comes to those temptations and struggles that we have. We don't ask for help. We don't, we, we don't ask anyone to pray for us or, or with us. We refuse to ask people to hold us accountable for our actions, for our, for our marriage, you know, it's no accident that Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. You see, Naaman had it in his mind exactly how it was all going to play out. He knew exactly how he was going to be healed. He, he, he was just convinced that the man of God was going to come out and he was going to wave his hand over him, say some special words. Maybe the sky was going to turn dark. Maybe the sun was going to stand still where it was. But something mighty was going to happen because he was Naaman and he deserved it after all. And then finally, finally a servant goes to him and says, Master, If the man of God would have asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Well, sure, I've got, I've got gold and I've got silver. I'll pay any bill. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. You show me the, the, the broken glass that I have to go across, the hot coals that I have to traverse. I'll do anything it takes to be clean. And the servant said, then why don't you just go dip? Why don't you just go wash? And be clean. You see, Naaman at this point in time still hadn't seen himself. He hadn't seen himself. He hadn't been honest with himself. He hadn't been honest with God. And I had to think it was probably a very comical scene there along the banks of the Jordan. As he perhaps lines up all of the men that came with him along the riverbank. And he says, look, if anybody is coming, you make sure you tell me because I don't want anybody to see me here in this water. 
And I want you to imagine, as here this valiant leader is, and he begins to take off his sword, and he takes off any armor that he has, he takes off all of those things that represent his identity, and he begins to step down into the muddy water. And people begin to snicker on the riverbanks. Hey, I heard that. And he's thinking to himself, I can't believe I can't believe I'm humiliating myself this way in front of my men. And he continues to walk down to the water. And again, I wish you had never heard this story. Because he goes under one time. And he goes under a second time. And he goes under a third And you can hear what the people on the riverbank are saying. I can't believe our leader's doing this. Wait till we get back and tell everybody what Naaman did in Israel. And he goes under the fourth time. And he goes under the fifth time. And and now the laughter is is just starting to get louder and louder. And perhaps Naaman, there are tears now in his eyes. He's thinking, I can't believe it. I'm just going to stop. And he goes under the sixth time. And now it's just becoming something of just this comical scene. Until he comes up the seventh time. And now all of the laughter on the riverbank stops. Everyone is silent. As Naaman looks down and he sees that the leprosy is gone and he declares, I know that there is a God in Israel. Because he had tried everything else. He had tried to make it on his own. He had tried to to have confidence in all of his victories. And he had tried to have it all be about the identity that he had built up. But he could never get away from the one thing that was his true identity. It was the leprosy that covered his body. And now here finally, in the dirty Jordan, he dips. And he's clean. He's clean. And if you are, if you're not a Christian this morning, will you look at yourself and not turn away? Because at that beautiful moment when Naaman goes down into the water and washes, he admitted to himself finally what he was. A leper who would do anything to be clean. And right now, No matter whatever else is going on in your life, you cannot become untangled from sin without God. And the question that you and I must answer is, am I ready to be clean? Am I ready to be clean? You see, change takes place only when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of the change. I don't know, maybe you've been waiting and hoping and saying, you know what, I just know that there's going to be some moment. There's going to be something that's going to be electric. There's going to be something where the clouds part. There's going to be this moment. And I'm going to find out that if, you know, if I just give a little more, if I serve a little longer, if I, if I just read a little bit further in, in the Bible, I know there's something's going to happen. Will you hear a servant of the Lord tell you today? Why not just dip 
and be clean. You don't have to walk on hot coals. You don't have to crawl upon broken glass. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believing that his sacrifice is what paid your price. And that the grace that was poured out on the cross is sufficient for your sin. And that faith leads you into the waters of baptism so that you might submit yourself to God. Fully relying on him to make you clean. There's one more man in our text that I want us to see as we close out. His name's Gehazi. He was the servant of Elisha. He may have given himself to Elisha, dedicating himself to the Lord's service. He was very respected in his town. Perhaps when he walked through, the the people said, there goes a servant of the Most High God. His parents would have been very proud. The elders would have been very impressed. He was a good guy on the outside. But can I open up to you a man's heart and show you a person who would not face himself? There in that same text, it says, Gehazi the servant, the Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman this Aramean by not accepting from him what he brought. And surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Naaman was so excited after he was cleansed. He goes back to the house of Elisha. He wants to give him the gold. He wants to give him the silver, all the clothes. Take my camels. Take anything you want. There's a God in Israel and I'm excited. And he was told, it, I can't take anything from you. Elisha says, I didn't heal you. It was the Lord. You go in peace. But Gehazi, he wasn't having any of it. And I want you to see how he rationalized the sin that he was about to commit. Sin originates when we watch and we observe and we think, you know what, that's not too bad. And everybody is doing it. And we rationalize and pretend and we lie to ourselves. And he said, after all, Something was given to Naaman. He needs to give something in return. And so he says, my master was too easy on him. I'm going to go get something. And notice how he justified his sin with, with racial bigotry. He says Naaman should have to pay. After all, he's an Aramean. He's not one of us. He doesn't look like us. Doesn't come from where I come from. Doesn't talk like I talk. Friends, hear this. No one's heritage gives them the right to defraud, subjugate, or dehumanize another person created in the image of God. And racial bigotry and racial supremacy have no place among the people of God. And yet that's what he was doing. Justifying the sin that he was going to commit. I'm going to go and I'm going to lie and I'm going to get something because he is not from here. And he legitimized his sin by pointing to God. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to go and get something. And I wonder, have you ever used God as an excuse for your actions? Have you ever said, well, the God's going to understand? God made me this way. God gave me these desires. God put me in this situation. It's all on God, not on me. You see, we all try at some point in time to rationalize and justify and legitimize our sin. That's how we go about it. We're just like Gehazi. And so he goes after Naaman. And I just want you to listen to the lies. 
He says, my master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets just came from the hill country of Ephraim. He's saying, look, there were two guys from David Lipscomb that came down and they're getting their masters of divinity right now. And it would be really helpful if you could give us, some, give us something to, to help them in their, in their journey and in their work and in their schooling. And Naaman's like, well, sure. Why didn't you say so beforehand? And he gives Gehazi even more than what he asked for. And let me just stop for a moment. And let me speak to something that could be very sensitive to you. If you are entangled in sin, if you're involved in something that is just eroding away at your spiritual vitality, will you stop rationalizing and justifying and trying to legitimize your actions and attitudes? It's difficult. And it's at this point where we want to put the mirror away and refuse to look. And Gehazi said, my master just sent me to say lies and lies and more lies. Gehazi goes and takes all that he was given and he hurries home and he hides it and he goes and he stands before Elisha. And I want you to see the laughter in this man's heart as he hides everything but himself. And he strolls right in and he straightens his jacket and he... You know, it's one thing to struggle honestly as a sinner. I mean, we all do. We're all, we're all sinners. There's nobody perfect here. But it's altogether different when we live a life of sin and spiritual mediocrity and then stroll in here on Sunday mornings and drink the sweet blood of Jesus and take his body in memorial and there is no shame. It's different. Elisha asked Gehazi and says, where have you been? Where have you been? And Gehazi says, I, I didn't go anywhere. I've been here the whole time. Friend, the only sin that can destroy you is the sin that you will not face. It's the one you won't face. He was totally caught. He was totally caught. And Elisha gave him the opportunity just to come clean and just to say, you know what? You're right, I've sinned, I've, I've lied. I... But he couldn't break through. And he blew the moment and refused to see himself. And Elisha said, you know what? Naaman's leprosy is going to cling to you and your descendants forever. So where have you been? Where were you last night? What'd you do this last week? You know, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you in any way. But I want you to think about the way in which you have missed the mark. I want you to think about the way that you have not displayed the character of Christ. I do want you to think about the way that you have not honored God with your life because Satan wants to use what you did and tell you that is who you are and that is who you will forever be. Satan wants to tell you that your past will define your future. Satan wants to tell you that whatever it is that you've been involved in, whatever sin, whatever it is that is anti-God in your life, that it will always be there in your life. But the good news is that for those of us who are willing to look into the mirror and rip off the mask and say, God, here I am with all my sin, that God says, clean. 
You can change your tomorrows by facing yourself honestly today. Scripture says if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Guys, it does matter how we live. There is no DeLorean that's waiting to take us back. But you can change your tomorrows by facing yourself honestly today. Because this is your moment. You see, we have people who are here in this room who just like Naaman wonder, is there anything I can do to be clean? What can I do to get rid of the sinfulness and, and to, to lose this, this lack of purpose that I feel in my life? Is there anything I can do? I want to encourage you to come this morning and confess Jesus as being Savior. I want you to come this morning and be baptized so that those sins might be washed away. You don't have to dip seven times. But God says, will you trust me with one? And I know there are people who are here in this room this morning that Satan has been putting the guilt trip on you. And you have been entangled and you are entangled right now in sin. And more than anything else, you need to say, Lord, I just, I need to put it away. I need to get it off and I need your forgiveness. Confession is oxygen for the soul. So this morning, why not throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles why don't you come to Jesus, those of you who are weary and those of you who are carrying heavy burdens so that he might give you rest. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to sit for just a minute. I just want you to sit there as we sing together. And in a few minutes, we're going to stand up. And if you need to come before this body and if you need to come and see some of our elders and say, you know what, can we just have prayer? I want to encourage you to do so. And I want to encourage you, if you'd like to be baptized this morning, to take that, this as the opportunity. This is the moment that you have been waiting for.